Hi, and welcome everyone to this very special episode of The Enlightened Agent, the podcast that brings you conversations with top insurance professionals and industry leaders. My name is Jason Keck. I'm joined today by Caribou Honig, co-founder of InsureTech Connect, which is responsible for the largest InsureTech event every year, ITC Vegas, as well as a partner at Semperverance, a boutique VC fund focused on the future of work. Caribou, welcome to the show. Jason, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, super psyched you're here. Yeah, I remember going to my first InsureTech Connect in 2017 and being just completely blown away by it. So I'm a little starstruck by having you on the show, but pretty excited about it. I think anybody in the insurance industry probably knows who you are. You're a celebrity, I think, at this point. But I know there are a lot of people who don't know everything about you. So would you mind taking a few minutes to maybe introduce yourself and talk about what keeps you busy these days? Yeah, I'm happy to. This should be fun. And, you know, by the way, you might be starstruck, but I keep telling my sons that I'm kind of a big deal in InsureTech and they're like, sure, dad, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> they, really. they, they, if they only knew. <laughs> so my background, you know, pretty simple. Started my career at Capital One a couple of decades ago, really during its heyday, hyper growth. It was great. Super training. Left there in 2006. Took a little time off, watched Netflix, uh, played with my kids, listened to the universe. And um, from there, reconnected with a couple other former Capital One executives. We created a boutique venture capital firm, QED Investors. Did a lot of investing in areas like fintech, some ad tech. Around 2015, started to focus on insure tech. And for those of, of us who were you know, in and around insure tech at the time, we all know there wasn't much going on, but it smelled like something interesting was about to happen. Yep. So uh, I was really excited for that. Looked for a good industry conference, couldn't find anything. Thus, InsureTech Connect, thankfully, you know, was able to collaborate with Jay Weintraub on that. I left QED in 2017. I uh, had some itches to scratch outside their scope. And, um, you know, now I'm kind of doing what I do. I, I, I'm very fortunate. I have my hands in a few different pies. Continue to work on the conference side of the things. It's it's actually, uh, don't tell anyone, but it's actually kind of addictive once you create a, a tech conference. Like, yep. you just keep doing it over and over because I get really excited when I can help people. I like to say my, my North Star these days, um, and this sounds probably a little corny, but I really like helping good people to succeed at doing interesting things. And it turns out there's almost no better way than to you know bring a couple thousand people together and have them like actually interact about the right stuff. So I've done that now um, on a, another conference focused on future of work, collaborated with Jay and team on another one on prop tech. We did one just recently on logistics tech. I actually wow. had one coming up in June on Medicare, again, <laughs> of all things, and, and maybe some ag tech, food tech. So I'm I kind like of got a conference creation junkie. I, you can't get enough. <laughs> I totally am. Especially like the good news is when you partner with someone who does all the work and knows everything, then you don't actually have oh. to do much. And so that, that's kind of my relationship with Jay. He knows everything. He does all the work, has a team. And, and I just get, you know, more than my fair share of credit. So it, it works out pretty nicely. It's a good deal. Good, good for you, man. I tell you, the um, this year in particular, the getting out of the office, getting into a space where people were, you know, focused on opening their minds as opposed to being more focused on delivery and execution was game changing, right? I mean, mentally for me, it was super exciting. Um, the feedback we got at the conference was was super positive, opened a lot of doors, you know, couldn't walk through all of them, but certainly walked away with a lot of energy. And I think conferences are, are 
pretty special like that, right? Like you get people together out of the office, they get permission to think, you know, beyond their four walls and, you know, magical things happen. So, and look, it, it, it's way more efficient to, uh, for everyone to jump on one airplane ride, all converge in Vegas, have the 20 meetings they want to, and then fly back. Yep. Then for you to have to, Jason, fly to 20 different places to have those yep. 20 meetings. You know, it, I will say it, it does kind of suck organizing mass gatherings in the middle of a pandemic. That, that's not easy. Yeah. Uh, what was what were some of the, do you have any good stories from this year about that that you can share? Kind of chaos, notable extra chaos that came out of it? <laughs> so it, it's really, it's almost a blur, right? The last two years. Yeah, and, and ITC was relatively unscathed. Like, you know, we lost one show from an in-person perspective. Future Work Show, we actually lost two um, years of it in person just from the, where the timing and cycle was it's actually coming up in just a couple of weeks in, in mid-march as long as there's no new variants i think we'll be in great shape crossed yeah but the um i think it's more just the there was a both a a mix of extreme eagerness for people but also a mix of hesitation at the same time there was this sort of uncertainty like okay i'm here now we're all vaccinated can I take off my mask to talk to you or not? Like people were still getting a feel of the protocol back in October. Um, yep. I, you know, I, I'm an optimist. I think we're mostly behind the, the major risk factors now, but you know, it, yeah, let's, let's, let's hope so. That's one area where I've got my hands. As you mentioned, I'm a partner at this boutique VC fund now called Semperverance. Yep. Really focused on future work kind of investments, everything from like workforce, you know, software, healthcare tech, because the, the employer is such the gatekeeper for so much of healthcare in the US. Yeah. And then the, the sliver of fintech and insure tech, which has this overlap here. So I get to do that. And then, you know, otherwise just basically make a nuisance of myself, you know, doing the occasional podcast, trying to put forth the occasional uh, harebrained idea. Love it. Love it. Well, yeah, r- really appreciate you having on the show. Very impressed with all the different things you have your hands in. It sounds sounds really fun. Got to imagine it. it pulls you in different directions all the time, which, you know, can be challenging, right? You gotta, to be successful, you have to focus. So find your lanes and and try to go as as hard and fast into those as you can. So this is a pretty special podcast for me, because as you know, today we're announcing as a company that we've hit a major business milestone. For those who don't know, Broker Buddha built a technology that converts carrier applications, static PDFs into interactive online smart forms that agents can use to gather information from their clients and produce signed documents for quoting and binding coverage. It's like TurboTax for commercial insurance. And today we are announcing that we have converted 10,000 carrier applications into online smart forms. So this is a huge milestone. 10,000 is a huge number. And this matters because in order for agents to place any type of coverage that isn't a bog standard small business commercial policy, uh, they need carrier apps. And I can tell you that there are a few things more frustrating than trying to fill out information on a PDF using kind of antiquated PDF annotation tools and trying to click in and fill data in into spaces where it doesn't belong. It just seems very 1999, let's just say. So rehearse this, but I want to interview you a little bit here. So, so um... You know, t- does the 10,000 matter in terms of your product getting any smarter? Like, uh, is it one of those things where there's a feedback loop 
so that, you know, it was dumb for the first hundred, then it was a little smarter for the next thousand, and by 10,000, it's actually become like, okay, it's it's learned from error correction and mistakes in the first hundred. It does, It what matters is that the, the connection of, the connection between the forms and the linking of information uh, is very powerful. So in other words, if you, you know, answer questions on one form, and the same question exists on another form, the information automatically maps over. And over time, we're starting to build kind of a, a global data model of questions beyond just traditional accord questions. And over time, we'll be spinning up kind of standardized applications for different lines of business, which consolidate questions across different carrier apps. And yeah, they might want to change those over time, but you know, those are minor changes that we can make tweaks on. But I think the the power of the size of the library is just the convenience for the agent to know that when they you know start using the platform or anytime they use the platform, they'll know that you know there's a very high probability that they can just go online, type in the name of the form, and it'll be ready for them and ready to go, as opposed to having to dig up the latest version and you know attach it you know multiple versions to an email to send to their clients and you know force their client into the doctor's office like experience of filling out multiple forms and answering the same questions, which, which we want to try to avoid. So, yeah, no, um, I, I love the evolution of, you know, how, you know, it's in the back office or the front office goes from paper, like this is just audio, right? So going from paper right, <laughs> to, to, um, uh, to, well, paper to PDFs, right? And then PDFs to actually structured data. I mean, there is real value in going from paper to a bunch of pixels. But then the next levels, you know, PDFs are pretty close to being on structured data. And if you can then turn it into structured data, like that's that's sort of the unlock in my mind. A big deal. Yeah, there's a lot of companies out there who are doing PDF extraction, right? You're seeing all these tools trying to extract information from PDFs. We've kind of gone one step beyond that and we're trying to get rid of PDFs. We're actually extracting the questions so that as people start to answer those questions, you know, yes, we can put it back on the PDF because that's historically how people need it. And, and sometimes they need signatures on that. And we've got the integrated signature to support that. But what this really does is it opens the door for us to be able to deliver that data to their management systems, to their carriers, to their data warehouses in a way that allows them to learn from the information and leverage the information. Uh, if they want to do benchmarking, they can do benchmarking. If they want to just bridge the data into a carrier system to speed up quoting, they can do that as well. So a lot of power in having structured data online. And I, I wish that in 2022, we weren't talking about, you know, migrating onto web forms, but we are, and that's okay. And it's a great opportunity for us. So, and I think candidly, it creates a lot of opportunity for others now that we have structured data. And I guess that's kind of one of the questions I wanted to flip back at you, which is, you know, as the insurance industry starts to get a better handle on data, right? As agents are able to get structured data, as carriers are able to get structured data, how does that change the experience for the buyers of insurance? What does that mean for them? How does it make their life better? What, what can you imagine there? Yeah. So, you know, this takes me back to my, my first 10 years back at Capital One, right? We, we were one of the original, like, really, how do you use data in the business strategy? Yep. And you know, ultimately it comes down to a few areas. One is risk, right? And risk-based pricing. Like yep. ultimately if the, you know, when you're underwriting, you are using data, I hope. <laughs> so when you're underwriting, you're using data. And the more data you can get your hands on, 
the more available it is with you know lower cost, lower friction, and the more sort of structured and sort of robustified it is, then the better that the underwriting can be. So for one thing, like I think for the insured, it's making sure that they're actually getting uh, priced at a level that is appropriate and commensurate with the risk. Right? Yep. You don't really want people to be forced to, to cross-subsidize someone else who's risky, right? and I, if I'm less risky, like, yep. price me appropriately. So I think that's one piece of it. I think that there's a um, just sort of a, a pure relevance aspect as well. Like if, if I'm a small business applying for getting insurance and you've got me bucketed in the wrong sick code category, right? yep. and that creates an extra 45 minutes of process where I'm trying to clarify that with you, but the actual right data is somewhere out there, you just didn't have it about me. Yep. Yep. Well, that's actually really a hassle, right? So yep. the more that you can ensure relevance, the better. Yep. And then uh, I think there is just an efficiency side, like an operational efficiency, even a marketing efficiency, which accrues largely to the benefit of the insurer or of the agent. Right? Okay. If I can be getting in front of the right uh, uh. customer with the right product, right, then that creates operational efficiencies, maybe marketing efficiencies yep. uh, for me as the agent. But in the long run, like efficiencies on the in the cost side of things, right, for the carrier or the agent will eventually migrate at least in part to the benefit of the of the insurer. Yeah, right? yeah. 100%. Those ops and so if you can create efficiency through data, that's a good thing in the long run for the insured. That's right. It'll it'll at a minimum it will speed things up and hopefully it also gives a better rating, you know, the carrier is able to rate the risk faster and more accurately and and potentially give you better pricing, right? That you know, there's not as much risk in their pricing, they can they can sharpen their pencils a little bit. So yeah, now they may give you higher pricing, <laughs> but only because you warrant it, not because they're making some you know mistake of cross subsidizing. Right. Yeah, they're not adding an extra twenty percent on top because of, of an unknown that they don't have. They're actually you know maybe you maybe you deserve the extra twenty percent or maybe you don't. So yeah, the thing that we keep hearing is that the, the holy grail for agents is the ability to link policy data with claims data with exposure data. And they're just, there are frankly no great systems that support that today. You know, the policy stored in their management system, the claims data is often with the carrier and the exposure data they're now, you know, is on PDFs, right? And so what we're encouraging all the agents to do is really think through what does that benchmarking look like in a perfect world? What are the different ways they want to segment their customer base? Is it down to individual sick code or is it you know, do they want to group industries in a certain way? Do they want, what do the revenue bands look like? How do they want to segment their customers? And then, you know, we can start to pull in policy data and the claims data in a way that gives them the ability to say, you know, this customer, you know, relative to the industry is, is spending too much, whereas, you know, their limits are, are too low and really yeah. give, give good advice on that. So, you know, I'm reminded often when the statisticians were building big models, right? Predicting risk, response, whatever. 90% of the time and effort actually went into basically assembling the data into a way that that then the statistical tools could use. Right. Right? Right. And it wasn't really like, oh, there's a ton of like, uh, how do I do this statistical analysis or machine learning, whatever. It, it ended up actually being mostly about how do I get the right data just 
put into a normalized form, right? So it doesn't get, what one of my, actually, we'll, we'll go on a tangent here if you don't mind. Yeah. What am I, you know, if you're really geeky, one of the funniest examples of like not understanding what data you've got and then how do I like make sure I'm, I'm building the model on the right data is um, building risk predictions off a of FICO score, right? FICO score is your credit score kind of right. thing. And, uh, you know, generally the FICO score runs from like, 500 up to 850, right? 500, and you know, why is it range? I have no idea, but 500 <laughs> is terrible. You've probably gone bankrupt. You're not paying your bills, whatever. 850 is like pristine. There's like eight people in the US who, who have it. And, and there's a lot of data science behind like what every 30 points means in terms of increase in, in your overall repayment risk and things like that. Terrific. Right. But so when you're building a model, right? trying to find some correlation between, well, you, you know, had this kind of score and did you pay back your credit card or your mortgage loan or is your auto insurance, you know, are, are you a high risk on auto insurance? Because there's a correlation there, there too, right? Well, it turns out that the credit bureaus also have a special number if you have like no file or some sort of thin file. I don't, I don't recall yeah. all the details, in, but something that would typically be, you know, very correlated with very poor credit, right? right. Very, very poor credit performance, not necessarily because you've done something bad, but you you haven't shown up, you don't have the history, um, yep. and it does correlate. The right. issue That's is- Like my wife who came in from England and has no credit, or had yeah, no credit, right. but yeah. Right. Okay. So she would probably have a credit score initially of 900. Right. Because it's not a contiguous scale. Okay. 900 is like the designated code, right, for like no file. <laughs> Right. So, you know, all these clever stats models get all screwed up, right? When right. they're finding this very clean, natural relationship between from, you know, 500 to 600 to 700 to 820 to 850. Oh, so pristine. 900. Terrible on the whole. That's complicated. Although I kind of like the sort of suggested positive, like we're going to, you know, we're going to. Yeah. We're going to start with a very positive number and yeah. you kind of work your way down. Yeah. But so you've got these, these reports that like the average FICO score of, you know, <laughs> this population here that was underperforming was actually right. like 750 because it averaged right. in a bunch of 500s and a bunch of 900s. <laughs> <laughs> like, Whoops. So, so there's all this energy that went into why, why this anecdote right now. It's mildly interesting, I think, hopefully. For, some, <laughs> for like three of your listeners, it's mildly interesting. But because it's sort of so much of the energy is around actually getting the data right yep. and the statistical, sophisticated, hard to say, statistical analysis right, was the easy part, getting the data in the right form for the models to be built off of, that was actually yep. the, the energy. Yep. Yeah, we've actually built some pretty powerful translation tools recently, kind of an if this, then that type of, you know, you know, if, if you answered the question, if you answered question one like this, then we're going we're gonna to map that to a slightly different, you know, category and over here kind of thing. And that, that kind of translation capability is super powerful and allows us to, to automate some of the, the things that you're talking about there and, and data capture. So good to know that what we're building is solving problems that have existed for a long time, just never been solved in insurance. So right. uh, kudos to us on that one. <laughs> Kevin, as you know, the show is called The Enlightened Agent because we like to share stories about amazing people who do amazing things. Uh, enlightenment is defined as the state of having knowledge or understanding. And so I wanted to ask you if you know any stories of any enlightened agents or agencies out there who you feel need to be recognized. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Let me shine a light actually on, uh, I guess they're technically not an agent, they're a broker. Okay. Um, yep. A subtle distinction, but uh, hopefully one that people won't mind. And it's actually a, a company a benefits broker that we've got partnership with uh, okay. at my VC fund, Semperverance. Uh, it's called Sequoia Benefits, and they're doing two things that I think are really interesting right now. One is uh, just in terms of defining their target market. They yep. are very focused on venture-backed, high-growth, quote, Silicon Valley companies. I say quote because right. anywhere in the U.S., but Silicon Valley type of companies. And I think that sort of recognizing that you find a niche, you, you find a population that might have some relatively distinctive needs, and then you lean into that. I, I actually yep. think that's a, a trend happening right now in insure tech broadly is sort of a, a focus on niche opportunities. Where, you know, in insurance, even a niche can be sizable. And then when you really kill it on that niche, then you've got permission to go into adjacencies. But but instead of going after giant things, people are starting to say, okay, let me solve for this niche brilliantly and then expand from there. So, yep. anyway, so, so Sequoia's doing great in terms of we've identified a niche. We're going to go after venture-backed tech companies, da-da-da. Uh, but then I've seen from a product standpoint what they're doing, I think, is quite insightful you know sometimes okay. it, simplification is the hardest thing to do right yeah. taking away choices in a way that actually creates value for the customer right yep. if done poorly is a disaster but if done well creates actually a lot of value so i've seen them start to create bundles right, of <laughs> ancillary benefits so they're not saying okay client you can only choose this or that product but we know you got a lot of other things going on in the, the benefits in HR world. You know, there's this COVID thing too. Let us pick some best in class products that sort of go together and gel together and can be priced as one bundle for you, right? And you can choose bundle A or bundle B or bundle C. We can give you some benchmarking about what other companies like you, which bundles they are selecting. I think that the simplification Right, taking away the the cognitive load, the the effort required, because does a does an HR executive at some company really want to have to go through? Oh, let me decide on which fertility benefit and which smoking cessation benefit and which disability benefit. No, they just want to know that they've got a best in class collection that sort of gels together. Yep. So I think that that's something that I would shine a spotlight on that they're doing. Those are two very powerful approaches reminds me of founder shield which is the company we went through the incubator with they did the exact same thing focused on tech companies right startups initially now later stage tech companies and they had bundles right they had a bundle of insurance pnc this is pnc not benefits bundles for for the startup i think they had it the bootstrapper the startup and the, it was a th like the venture or something like that so it was kind of basically your your pre-seed, your seed companies, and then your kind of series B and beyond companies. And it just frankly made it easier for someone to say, yeah, I don't know what I need. I, I just, I fit into this category. And so um, um, if you brand the bundles properly, then you help people make choices around things that they don't understand. Right. Yeah. And, and so, they don't, they don't need to understand it. That's not, their job is not to understand it. It's actually your job as the agent or the broker to understand it and give them, it, it's their decision, but it's your recommendation. That's right. That's exactly right. I like that. So I like the guys at Sequoia. We, uh, we know them well and clients of ours. So uh, ha happy to be working with them.
them and on the PNC side. So um, not doing much in the benefit space these days, maybe one day in the future, but um, glad, glad to hear that they're, they've taken that approach. And I have no doubt, especially being out in the Bay Area, that they're crushing it. So good for them and frankly, good for the companies that they work with. So great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, this caribou has been what I would call an enlightening conversation, if you don't mind me. <laughs> going one step further on the pun. So I really enjoyed having you on the show. Before we wrap up, anything else you'd like to say or share with our listeners? Yeah, look, I, I think um, what's on my mind lately is just the notion of of how to help people, right? And 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 not look for a quid pro quo, right? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of transactional folks out in the world, but gosh, I find that there are also a lot of people who are not just relationship oriented, but they are really like, looking to be helpful to other people, knowing that that it, it'll all come back to them in karma, even if it doesn't come back in, in something direct. And so I'd say just, you know, I, I'm trying to do my part. I'm trying to train myself to be like that. And yeah. uh, I, I hope your listeners um, are leaning into that as well, because I think that that makes things a better place here. Yeah, 100%. I love that concept of giving, you know, without expectation, um, sharing and hope that you know if i look at you and the success you've had if that's what you've been practicing then it sounds like it's come back to you in in lots of great ways and not that that was the the reason but you know maybe that's serendipitous maybe it's karma who knows what it is but congrats on all your success thank you and you know thanks for coming on the show appreciate you being here thanks glad glad to be here and uh, thanks for listening see you in vegas later this year is that part of the plan that's right september September. All right. Thanks, Caribou. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Take care. Very good.